Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 20, starting with verse 7. And the last time we were in the Millennial Kingdom, well, we weren't literally in the Millennial Kingdom. We'll get there at some point in the Earth's future. But God is giving us prophecy. He's giving us history, which is kind of strange because we look at history in the past. He tells us things that are going to happen before they, they happen. So I'm reading it almost as if it happened, but it hasn't happened yet. And I really believe, especially in the times that we live in and we look out at what's going on in the world and our own country, this is certainly something that will give us hope. I mean, you can't read about the millennial kingdom and really go through all the scriptures and not feel a sense of hope and, and something brightness to look forward to where the earth, where people who don't know God look to mankind, look to secular humanist psychology to fix all of our problems in the world. Well, this has been going on for thousands of years, and I don't know that uh, the human race has done any better of a job than in the beginning. So uh, just a quick housekeeping issue is... You know, I, I look at my own messages and sometimes I find mistakes and when I make mistakes, I correct them in the next service. Okay. For most, for most of you, you're not going to be concerned about it, but I did say that the Greek phrase was metatauta, um, after these things. And I looked back into my Greek interlinear and it actually is kai edon, which means and then I saw, okay, so some of you are like, it's all Greek to me. But there's three basic phrases when we look at the interpretation of the scripture. And one is metatauta, which we've covered in past chapters. It's chronology. God is basically taking us from one scenario to another scenario to another scenario. Another way of saying the same thing is kai edon, which means then I saw, again, chronology, time, you know, so people say, well, how do you, how do you know your way is right when it comes to translating Revelation? I just read the original language, the way it was written, the way God gave uh, the Apostle John the information and the way he wrote it down. And there's another phrase called kai metta, which means, um, and then after, okay, and again, it's translated then after these things. So there's three basic phrases in the Greek that basically tell us that we're looking, we're moving frame by frame through history, um, but really we're looking at the future before it actually takes place. So it's very orderly. Um, we don't have to be confused about what happens next or what happened before because it's right there in the scripture. So this morning, the message is titled The Final Judgment, and we're going to look at this in four parts. So let's jump in. Starting with verse 7, it says, Then when the thousand years, the millennial kingdom, right, have expired or passed, Satan will be released from his prison. We talked about that. And will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as of the sand of the sea. That's pretty impressive. So after the thousand years, there's quite a rebellion against the Lord's rule. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. Uh, excuse me. 
Yes, saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So one out of four, Satan is released and leads one last rebellion. Again, this isn't to be confused with the Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle. And again, there's three main battles that take place at the end. Most people who aren't even believers know, oh, Armageddon. Everybody's heard that term. Just like Revelation, a lot of people have heard that term, even if they're not believers. So you have the Battle of Armageddon, which we covered. You have the last battle, the last rebellion, which is the last, actually, war that ever takes place. Um, and then all wars cease. And then Bible scholars have some difficulty putting in the Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle and fitting it in, I believe. It's right around the time, circa the time of the rapture or the harpazo. Um, so there's, the fuel is burned for seven years, and there's some interesting indicators to why I believe that. So it's okay, though. Um, Bible scholars can disagree on certain things. Um, we still, live each, still love each other. We can still break bread together. Stuff is not really terribly important. God tells us what he wants to know is important. So the earth's population is stirred up from, you know, Satan. And uh, he does the same thing he did in Genesis. You know, he kind of goes to mankind. Again, this is after the thousand years, and things are great. There's no war. Uh, I can surmise and, and use conjecture on what the earth looks like and what the Lord Jesus is doing. We've read a lot of it, um, so it's going to be pristine. But after the thousand years and after all these generations... Satan is going to try one more time to stir everybody up against God. And he uses the same old lies that he's used in Genesis. He, used, he uses these lies on people today. You know, God's holding out on you. God's not listening to you. God doesn't care about you. And again, they just had this thousand years of a beautiful millennial kingdom. Uh, God's holding out on you. You know, God, you could be more, but God's holding you back like God's threatened by our achievements. So all these arguments are ridiculous, but um, you see them all throughout the scripture that the dark side uses them. Okay, so some, some would ask, and it's a great question, why would God even allow this? He already had him in the pit. <laughs> he already had Satan chained up. Why has he let him out again? But again, I would go back to Genesis, and this is why it's so important. People who attack the Bible, they go after Genesis, which is the beginning and the foundation and revelation, which is the culmination of all things. Um, you got a lot of these so-called preachers who are just trying to attack the foundations of what we've understood and known for thousands of years. So why would he allow this? Again, same as in Genesis, um, it's the free will to choose, right? You have to remember there's a thousand years of births. There's a thousand years of new generations springing up uh, and they're pristine conditions on the earth because Christ is ruling from Jerusalem. But it, are they really there for God? Has it really permeated their hearts? There's a, a huge disconnect between environment and what we shelter inside. And we erroneously in secular humanism say, just keep throwing money at the problem. That's going to fix all the problems in the world. And it never does. It hasn't. So there is this thing where in the world they preach, we'll just make the environment perfect for everybody. Well, we saw that in Genesis. We're going to see it here, but it doesn't change anything. However, as Christians, we have to look at things in a flip way. We have to say, regardless of the environment and the circumstances, we have to be at peace in our hearts. And the only way to do that is through having Christ, right? To have God in us and in our lives. You know, we're being lied to every day. Every day you turn on the TV, we're being divided by immutable characteristics. 
you know, race, gender, you know, politics, well, politics we can change. Uh, but these, a lot of these things are immutable characteristics and you see just the declension of society, but it's a lie. It is a lie. And some churches are, are getting on board with this and it's dividing churches and it's absurd. The only thing that's going to matter in the end, there are two groups of people. You know who those people are? Those who follow the Lord and those who don't. All this other stuff is a distraction. It's just noise because there's only two types of people in the world. And in the end, are we, have we followed Christ or have we not? Have we looked for a, an alternative? And that's it. No other divisions at all. Uh, the Bible says in heaven, it's people from many backgrounds, many cultures, ethnicities, and they're all together as one. They all get the same robe, right? God loves us all equally. Um, again, what we're hearing on a daily basis is just, it's just noise and a distraction. Uh, but some would say, well, why would God allow uh, this? Why would he allow Satan to come up and tempt again? Um, but that same group of people, and you've heard it, would say that if God forced us to love him, he's a tyrant. Again, you can't have it both ways. You can't be on both sides of the equation and keep going. But just it doesn't work in debate. It doesn't work in, um, you know, common sense, legitimacy. Uh, you know, you got to take one stand or another. You can't take a stand when that question is answered. You move to another one. I mean, I would just say to that group and I say it all the time, just come aboard. You know, I have friends and they engage in sophistry, you know, they engage in, you know, they're trying to, it's almost a debate to try to trap you up in what you believe, but they're not really seeking the truth. And I got to be honest with you, I was one of those people. I still remember, it's so weird, memory, how memory works. I mean, it had to be 30 years ago or more that I was driving behind somebody. And remember, I called myself a Christian. I wore a crucifix, right? I was part of a denomination. And I saw a bumper sticker, and there was a biblical truth espoused on it. And I, was, I got angry at the bumper sticker. But remember, I was on the other side. And, you know, we wonder why. Why do we think the way we do? When you get mad, do you ever think, why am I mad? It's always good. People say you're crazy, but actually self-talk is a little bit healthy. I couldn't understand why I was so upset. And the answer was because I wasn't on his side yet. Now I look at that bumper sticker and I'm like, no, it's a, there's, a tr there's a truth there. I get it now. I agree with it. So, you know, this is what we're dealing with in our culture. People are angry. They're fearful. They're sad. And some of them don't even know why. And they just lash out because of emotion. But again, you see, it's whether it's Genesis or it's here, the perfect environment doesn't guarantee fulfillment. It also doesn't guarantee righteousness. It doesn't guarantee fulfillment. It doesn't guarantee righteousness. And I'll say this as well, and this isn't, this isn't a hard and fast rule. There's, you know, and this is why I, I'm careful of stereotypes. I'm care, careful of casting us into uh, monoliths where we all think and you know, walk the same and almost like robots. God didn't create us like that. You know? So when I look at these things, I say to myself, what's going on here? What's going on here? And the truth is that some come from a perfect environment today, you could have everything, the best childhood, the best nurturing, the best parents, and still turn out to have bad character for the rest of your life. And then there's others that come from hardship, brutal hardship, abject poverty, uh, neglect, uh, abandonment from family members, and they turn out to be one of the most in incredible people you ever met, incredible character. 
Okay, there are some exceptions. So what does that tell us? That it tells us that the lie, that environment and throwing money at the problem and if we could just do this, it just never, it never makes it true. And this is what the scripture shows us as well. Again, when people are suffering, we help them, no doubt. You know, we do what we should do as a church, as voters, etc. But at the same time, if God is excluded from the equation, you're always going to have the same result. And everyone's going to keep coming back to the table and say, we need to throw more money at it. Okay, question. Who is and what is Gog and Magog? Um, I am going to teach Ezekiel. And uh, it's going to come up in a, in a major way in Ezekiel 38 and 39. But just for the sake of argument... When we look at Gog and Magog, because it comes up here as well. Two different battles, the same phrase comes up. What does it mean? Well, I, I look at Gog and Magog in three layers or levels. One is location. Location, 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 right? This is an area north of Jerusalem. It's a wide area. You have, uh, you know, Megiddo up there, and then you have Syria and all these other countries. And, you know, if you're looking for a battle and you want a battle against Jerusalem, well, that's the perfect place to amass. So Gog and Magog has a uh, topographical element to it. It has a geographical element. So you would imagine that if people wanted to engage in this war on Jerusalem after the thousand years, well, they would gather in this area. It only makes sense. Whether it's Ezekiel 38 and 39 or Revelation 20, different people groups will amass in this area. So it's, it's geographical. It's also, it's a fascinating phrase to look at. And again, Bible teachers disagree, but, but have come to some common ground in this situation is it is a spiritual predisposition. Again, it's a spiritual predisposition against God. And see... It's the embodiment of, a, of an evil leader, right? So when you look at Ezekiel 28, and you see this in the scripture. God will speak through his prophets about a leader. Um, oftentimes, it's a bad leader. Uh, Ezekiel 28, it's the king of Tyre, or Tyre, which is the north, northwest on the coast from Jerusalem. And then as you read as this scripture, Ezekiel 28, you go into qualities that Satan has. So somewhere, it's so cool how the Bible works. You, you almost, it's a learning curve. You're like, well, what happened? What am I, it sounds like Satan. Yeah, it is. But what he does is the prophet moves from the actual physical leader to the forces that drive this wicked leader. And we see it a lot in the scripture. So it's an interesting thing to watch. So three layers, location, uh, spiritual predisposition, and also the embodiment of, of an evil leader, right? But you have to understand, and again, I tried to um, kind of fill in the blanks in this time. You could imagine that, that the people after the thousand years, the ones that they just don't like the righteousness. They don't like the rules. They don't like the Lord reigning in righteousness because their heart is not for God. So there's almost a fomenting resentment that builds up. And when Satan is released one more time, that person is like finally a leader to fight against these um, these spiritual reforms that we don't like. In a, and King Josiah can't compare to Jesus Christ at all, but he was also a good man. And you could see King Josiah, he was the king. He forced reforms. He uh, had the pagan and demonic altars torn down and he had them burned. But as soon as he died, a lot of the people who didn't like the righteousness went back to evil and they started building the pagan altars again. 
And I tell you, in American culture, it's an interesting time because sort of like me before I was a Christian, even if you just quote a scripture or you put a, a biblical truth, people get viscerally angry at you. It's, it's actually quite sad. You know, our job as Christians, I think, is more challenging because when we go out and engage the culture, I feel like sometimes I got to start from square one in Genesis before I get to John 3.16, which is fine, which is fine. Um, listen, I grew up, I'm, I'm not, believe me, I don't make fun. I grew up, parents didn't know the Lord, parents got divorced, rough childhood, got into things I shouldn't have got into. So believe me, I was flying blind through my late teens and early 20s. It's amazing I made it this far. But God had his hand on me, and eventually I gave in to him. So, um, you know, it's, listen, God didn't tell us to do the easy thing as Christians, but he does tell us to do the right thing. Verse 9, we see this is a very short-lived battle. Um, It ends quickly, similar to Elijah, right? Fire coming down from heaven. We read, you know, the the great prophets. Elijah was one of them. Uh, He calls down fire from heaven. And defeats the prophets of Baal, the pagan prophets. Uh, But we we see a similar theme here. And Revelation is almost like a total compilation of the entire 66 books. There's just so much from all the different books. And that's why Revelation is beautiful. But also it is is complete. So um, I talked about this with... Dr. Jason Falzerano uh, on the bridge FM and people were asking questions about Satan and we had a discussion about it and you know Satan is the type of personality he's a real person right he's a created being a fallen angel that he just wants to destroy everyone you know and you see people in the world like this right when I have my, my law enforcement background you had some people that you, you caught them and you got them dead to rights and they really were kind of sorry for what they did. They knew it would kind of end this way, and, and they really want to change their lives. And that's a great, great story. But then you have others that just want to destroy everybody. You know, they're criminals. They live a life of crime. They want to destroy their co-conspirators. They want to destroy the police, the court system, the victims of their crimes. They basically want to see the world burn. And just like Ezekiel 28 that I mentioned, where do you think they get that information from? It's satanic. It's satanic. Um, There are some very well-known people that went to prison and got saved in prison. And there's a marked change in their lives. Uh, David Berkowitz is one of them. He says, I don't even want to get out of prison. What I did was terrible. I feel for my victims' families. I I belong here. I'm just going to keep preaching the gospel in prison. That's powerful. And he admits, he goes, I I was under demonic influence. He recounts his testimony of hearing voices and uh, apparitions coming to him, and and he was a murderer. But uh, the dude is still, he just doesn't want to get let out. He just thinks it would cause too much pain. That's a true conversion. So, you know, you have two types of people in the world. Eventually, you got to turn to God. If not, you you die in that state, and we're going to see what happens with that. Okay. Uh, again, this is why it's so important to, to be a witness to others. And you know, it's, you know what I like to do from the pulpit? I like to share my failings because, you, listen, we're, we're on live stream. We have a large audience that watches, but I don't want them to get the wrong impression. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Um, I remember as a new believer, I was a young police officer. I was a new believer. 
and listening to my pastor, whom I loved. I loved to hear him preach. I, I loved his character. And I just remember sitting there, and he would talk about sharing your faith, and I'd be like, that annoyed me. A lot of things annoyed me back in the day. Could you tell that? No. I'm, I'm really more free now. But I, when he would get to that part about sharing your faith or witnessing or... You know, I'd be like, oh, I have a job to do. That's just not in my nature. Well, look at me now. So if you give the Lord a chance, he can change your life. He can do amazing things with you. And they're good things, you know, because they come from God. But you've got to give him a chance to do it. But it is funny. As I, I go through my notes, I, I think about my past and all the, even my developmental stage as a Christian. And how the Lord has changed. It didn't happen overnight. It happened over sometimes decades. So it's a cool thing and it's exciting. Verse 10, he says, And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. This is very important. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So you have past, present, and future in this lake of fire, which I'm going to show in a chart a little bit further down in the sermon. So two out of four is the devil is judged and tormented forever. And then he doesn't come out of there. He's done. It's a done deal. We don't have to deal with him anymore. Right? Um, but this speaks of the sobering reality of the lake of fire that goes on forever and ever. And it's a little bit of a misnomer when people say hell. Hell is actually, or Hades is a, a temporary place. And we're going to go through that. But there is a lake of fire, which is after this great white throne judgment. And so we're going to look at the order of this. It makes perfect sense when you go through the scripture. So I'm going to put it all together at the end. Where the beast or the future earths um, somewhere, probably alive today, the Antichrist, uh, he's a global globalist, he's a fascist. Uh, he's going to make deals, he's going to have a silver tongue, and then he's going to plunge the world into sadness and chaos. And we can already see the thinking one way and the push towards globalism. We're, we're definitely moving as a world in that direction. And the false prophet, who's the false religious ecumenical leader who's going to help the fascist get to the place where he gets all the spiritual people or the religious people on board. So you see this kind of collusion between these two heads with the dragon or Satan really controlling them. So you have that false trinity. Um, and again, in verse 19, Revelation 19.20, we saw those two already thrown into the lake of fire. And here we find that Satan is thrown in. And these two that were thrown in in Revelation 19 are still there because it doesn't end. Right? It doesn't end. Now, there are two. Um, and I understand psychologically the reasons why people would want to say things to make people feel good. But if you go to the surgeon and you need surgery, there's something in you that's going to destroy you, whatever. There's so many diseases out there. We got to get this thing out or an organ or something. We have to get it out. And the surgeon just placates you and makes you feel good. And he smiles and he hands you a chocolate bar and, you know, he plays cards with you and, and you guys have, and he shows pictures of his family and you leave the office and he made you feel good but he didn't address the problem he's a bad surgeon so some theologians do the same thing they say well the doctrine of hell it's real it is sorry you know it is what it is but i can't i don't like to preach about it pastors for most for the most part don't enjoy preaching about it but it's a real place so for me to sit here and tell you and make you feel good about it um, if you're in christ you have nothing to worry about 
It's not for you. Thank God. But there are two doctrines out there. One is annihilationism, which Jehovah Witnesses and others teach that, well, once you die, your brain kind of flatlines and you're not conscious anymore. You don't have to worry about it. That's not true, according to the scripture. Another one is, and Rob Bell was a famous preacher for a while. A lot of people read his books. Universalism. Well, everybody in the end gets saved and nobody goes there. Well, that's not according to scripture as well, if you read the whole Bible. Now, I will say this. My belief is that God gives everyone a chance at salvation before they die, because God doesn't want anybody to go there. And I'm going to give you scripture showing that it wasn't even designed for people in the beginning. So I'm going to make you feel as good as I can up to the point of not crossing the line into something that's heretical. You know, and again, I've done deathbed conversions. I've gone to hospitals before a person closes their eyes. Uh, loved ones, you know, and, and you think, oh my goodness, what happened? Did they, did they repent at the end? And then literally in one situation, a guy that was like my father, my neighbor, he, he died and, and I did part of his, his eulogy. And I, I was, I was all over the place before the eulogy in my mind, because I loved him and I wasn't sure what happened to him. And then I found out that one of the nurses, nurses are awesome. They see a lot of stuff. And they told us, they told the family that the night before he died, it's just as if he knew, knew he didn't want them, the nurses or any of the staff in his room, and they could see him laying in bed and talking to God the night before he passed. So this is how good God is. He gives everybody a chance while they're alive. But once you die, that's it. You've made your decision and you're solidified in it. So I am optimistic, you know, in, in Iran and North Korea and visions and dreams. People are waking up and they heard about Jesus or they dreamt about him or they saw a vision and they're running around finding anybody who knows who this Jesus is. So God is getting into nations that will not allow Bibles and Christian radio into there. So I want to keep saying that. But the lake of fire is a real place. If you find yourself there, it's because you chose to go there. It's not because God forced you to go there. He gave you the way out. He gave me the way out multiple times. Um, cancel culture is canceling everything. <laughs> you know, even the, those of us my age and older, oh, we're starting to understand some of the millennial talks and the, all the new coin phrases that are being coined. So I know what cancel culture is now, and they're canceling everything. And they may even start to cancel our sermons when they hear something they don't like. And uh, just to tell you how creepy cancel culture and big tech is, they, they can do things with algorithms and really mathematical equations. And a friend of mine who knows a lot about computers, he showed me how there's different ways that you can take a pastor's sermon and bring it into, it's just all words. And then you can find keywords, something that you don't like, and you can flag it. Christian ministries have been flagged. Pastors have been, I'm surprised I haven't been flagged yet personally, but, um, you know, they, they can find ways to know everything you're saying. It can be done through AI where they don't even have to be there. And then they filter it to a human being and they make the last call. But that's what's going on. But can I tell you something? Cancel culture can make people feel good and get us all kind of mind numb where we all think the same happy thoughts, which is not reality. But they're actually hurting people. And that's tragic because what they do is a lot of times they remove truths Truths about medicine, truths about spirituality, truths about morality, a lot of things. Where does that leave us as a culture? Canceled, right? We, we can't think for ourselves anymore. 
That's why as Christians, I believe we are in a time, and, and I'm, I'm excited. You can hear it in my voice. I, when I get excited, I talk too fast, and some people have to listen to it again. What did he just say? He just went, you know. But, but the bottom line is I'm excited because we live in a time where everything we do makes an impact, even an act of compassion, right? You don't have to say anything. As the expression goes, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. So we are living in those times where we're, we have, we're real, we're genuine, we have the truth, and people will see the difference in us, you know? So this is what we have to do. There's an urgency here. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 11, continuing on. Last few verses. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Remember the eternal place of judgment. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So three out of four is the great white throne judgment. I want to read to you uh, Matthew 25. It's only one verse. 2541, where Jesus is speaking about the separation of the sheep and the goats, which must happen. Again, it isn't about black, white. It isn't about Republican, Democrat. It's about, are you on the Lord's side or are you not? Anything else is a distraction. So it says, Jesus said, and he will say to those on the left, they're not real goats. I'm sure God loves the animals, but figuratively, the sheep are the ones that follow the Lord and the goats do not. He says, he will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So initially, when the lake of fire was prepared, it wasn't for people, right? Humankind uh, collectively rebelled against God and chose that they just don't want to be with him for eternity. And I could tell you something, even the atheist enjoys a part of God when they enjoy his creation. The weather's getting beautiful. I'm looking at the, um, you know looking at the buds on the trees and the plants and I'm like, Oh cool. It's going to bloom. This is what happens when you, when you hit 50, you know, you, you just like all nature loving and stuff. Uh, but it's cool. Like I just, every day I go out and they, they, they go from the trees are brown. I just had linden trees planted in the fall and they, they were such late fall. They look like they were dead, but they're alive now. Right. And I'm seeing them go from a brownish to a beautiful red and the buds are coming out. So the atheist, uh, the agnostic, enjoys God's creation. They don't even realize it, though. They don't even realize it. And this is a fallen creation. So it wasn't prepared for people. Now, uh, in John 5.22, it says that the Father has given all judgment to the Son. So most likely, uh, the Lord is going to be at this kind of pulpit-like, um, you know, Thing and it's a, it's a great white throne and, and he has to judge. And we'll talk about that. It says in verse 11, it says heaven and earth fled away. There was no place for them. And I think of Revelation six sixteen. again, all these things tie in together. 
Revelation 6, 16, where during one of the judgments in the, the heavy uh, seal judgments, uh, that these that people were, uh, that they didn't want the Lord. And in 16, it said, they said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, meaning Christ, and from the wrath of the Lamb, right? But here, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. And again, it's my... Ch- childlike, hopefully not childish, my childlike imagination where um, like all the things we're used to, you know, we go for a walk, the ground's under us, we look at the sky, but everything's going to go, it's going to disappear, and I don't know, we're going to be floating out in space, and then the, the judgment is there, the throne, and then books are open up, and it's like, are people just all assembled without any other physical creation? Fascinating. And I always say this, at the end of the day, at the end of, of creation, only two things matter is God and souls, God and people. That's what matters in the end. And maybe he'll, the new heaven and earth will be nice and there'll be animals and stuff, but that's really the most important thing. And that's why it's so important for people to know who Jesus is. Okay, very important is that people who have believed in Christ, now this is very important because people ask this, is, well, what about the Old Testament? And I've covered this in Romans chapter 4. You look at Abraham, right? In his life, before works, before circumcision, he believed in God, right? Jesus didn't exist yet. Well, he existed in eternity as God the Son, but he hadn't come and died for our sins yet. So um, Abraham and Gideon and, um, you know, Moses and Aaron and all those people, they were saved according to Romans 4. They believed in God. They knew he would bring a Messiah. Jesus, when he died, died for the sins of the people in his day forward, you know, proactive, died for our sins, and also retroactive for the people in the past. Now, this is very important. When we talk about hell and the lake of fire, there's a lot of teachings, and it's very important that I say this because people ask these questions, and they need to know this. So if a a child, heaven forbid, perishes, a, a baby in the womb or a child or someone before they have a full understanding of the concept of God and Christ and sacrificial atonement, they go to heaven. Jesus uh, would sometimes, and I read about this at least two occasions, where his disciples almost were, you know, talking about the kingdom of heaven and sitting on Jesus's right hand and left, almost maybe bragging a little bit. And Jesus picks up a little kid and brings it over to them and says, unless you're converted to be like this little kid, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. You probably could heard a pin drop after he said that. So we believe children, um, I'm going to go further. Somebody could be in their sixties and has down syndrome and their mind still has the capacity of an eight year old doesn't matter whether they accept or not. Jesus died for their sins. So people on the autistic spectrum, people with a brain injury or somebody who doesn't have the ability to reason. Jesus already covered that. God is not going to expect, imagine God saying to a six-year-old, but you didn't say, I believe in Jesus. Of course, he's not going to do that. That's his child. You know what I'm saying? However, for the rest of us who are reasonably intelligent, could put two and two together, we don't have an excuse. I can't go to God and go, oh, God, I didn't know. You read the whole Bible, Joe. What are you talking about? Um, He's not going to. So God is a very, very fair, fair God. We need to stop looking at this person and that group and just look at ourselves. Do I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior? That's what God is so concerned with right now. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? 
So we technically, since we're sinners, right? And again, some in the church, and you see why churches have problems and some people don't want to come to church, can be judgmental. Sadly, some in the church have this idea that we're better than others, the atheists and people who don't know, because we're Christians. We're not better. We still sin. We're still sinners. But you know where our judgment took place? On the cross. So yes, our sins were judged too, on the cross. And when we trust in Christ, we get to receive the benefits of the judgment that Jesus paid the price for our sins. Now, there is an, uh, an expression too, and if we can go to 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 9 through 10, that there's something called the bema seat in Greek or the bematos. Uh, and this is something where we, we don't get judged for life or death, but we get judged almost like the Olympics, right? What did we do? Are our motives right? You know, do we, um, did we walk uh, an elderly person across the street and take a video the whole time we were doing it and put it on Facebook? Guess what? That good work just got nullified because we had wrong, you know, today everybody's virtue signaling and taking pictures and videos of themselves doing good deeds. I hate to say it, but your heart's not right if you're doing that. Um, Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But we have a little bit of a different judgment. Now, I actually taught on judgment several years ago. Judgment is one of those words in the Greek and in the English that has a large semantic range. So I could go to a 4-H and, and have a, a pie that a, a teenager put together, and I can judge that pie against the other teenager's pie and go, no, this one's better. Big deal. Nobody gets hurt by that. Maybe the teenager has hurt feelings. But um, that all the way to damning, to hell. So judgment has a large semantic range. So our judgment is different. If I could read 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. If, if I'm losing anybody, the chart is going to do it. You know, high expectations. So he says, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, to the Lord. For we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Again, different word, different word for judgment in the Greek, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And then in 1 Corinthians three twelve through 13, he speaks about um, some works that we do that last till eternity, through eternity, and some that get burned up. Because, our, listen, can I be honest with you? I've done things that in my heart, it was self-serving as a Christian. So just so you know. So when I get there, I'm going to watch a few things burn. <laughs> but hopefully I got some other good. Now, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that your good work get you to heaven because that's already been paid for. Bad works, good works, you know, sin, that's already been paid for. But it's just one of those things where even if they all get burned up, you're still saved, according to the scripture, because the judgment happened at the cross. Okay. And my, my question this morning is, what about you? Walked in here for the first time, turned on live stream for the first time. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? We're going to give you an opportunity after service to to make that profession of faith. You know, you get to escape this stuff, right? You could receive Jesus from your living room if you wanted to. It's not a problem. You, you could be anywhere. You don't actually need a church or me or anybody else. You just turn to the Lord. And repenting is a funny word because it implies change. You know, you're walking through your self-directed life like I did many years ago. And there's something that triggers you to consider God. And, and you turn and you, you give your life to him. 
So that's a beautiful thing. God doesn't make it difficult. Um, and then there's other scripture, which I won't go into, that um, you can see the it's intolerable for some who are just flat evil. There's just so much evil in this world. And there's uh, people who are in powerful positions that constantly foment evil, right? Um, sex traffickers, child molesters, just cartel people. Um, sad things are going on at the southern border with these cartels. They're getting more power. Um, and they're just, even the government fears some of these, you know, this organized crime in the United States. It's everywhere in Russia. Um, these people are just bad people. And if they don't repent, well, they're not going to be so tough when they get before the great white throne judgment. So just saying. Um, sometimes I think in our country, and I hear people say, I feel powerless. I feel like, you know, going through this world, going, even our country, it's just like the people in power are always going to have the power, and it's almost like a club, and I get it. But the Lord has the power, and he's going to flip things on a dime in a fraction of a second. You'll see. So you just got to hold on to that hope. Verse 12 and 13, the dead are judged according to their works. In a different way, we were judged by our good works, and God says what will stand the test of time or not. The dead, because they're not in Christ, will be judged according to Romans 5.12. When sin enters the world, death enters the world, and death through sin. So it only takes one infraction to break the chain between the relationship that's why it's so important to believe in Jesus between humanity and, and God. Jesus repaired all that. But for those that don't, um, their names are not going to be found in the book of life. And I don't know, we're going to get to see this. Um, you know, it's, I don't know, it's probably going to be very sobering reality. Is your name in the book of life? Is it? Do you know? I know mine is. And it's not from being arrogant. First John 5 tells me I can be assured of that. Well, you can be assured of the same. Just trust in Christ. So that's, that's really what we want. And I would say that, um, listen, the world and our country is just on a collision course. You know, evil is ramping up, and I don't see things getting better. And every 10 to 20 years, things get markedly worse. And Jesus said, like the, like the labor pains, you know, sometimes there's a reprieve, and then it, it increases again. But eventually, it's all moving towards the same place. Okay, charts. So let's look at, if we could look at the Word document first, the um, Word document, and then we'll go through this. But if we don't have the Word document, we'll go through that. No Word document. Okay. I got that in my hand, though. <laughs> All right. So um, we see this a lot, and people ask this question. First birth, second birth. What is that? First resurrection, second resurrection. What is that? Right? First death, second death, first judgment, second judgment. So first birth is a physical birth. Everyone here in this room has experienced, obviously, a physical birth. Your mother gave birth to you. Even if it was back in the day, they did like test tubes and stuff. It doesn't matter. You had a mom and a dad and you're physically born. Um, Jesus said you must be born again. It doesn't mean you call yourself a born-again Christian or put born-again on your church and you're covered. It's a, it's a spiritual birth, to be born again of the Spirit of God. So it's almost like starting over. Not everybody has that second birth. Um, you might not have had it up until today, and today you want that second birth. And you 
can have that opportunity. So God draws everyone, but some refuse, some take longer, but I would say don't wait. Have that second birth. Um, and, and, you know, you st- you'll see everything new, and you'll be like a baby again. It'll be awesome in a good way. <laughs> first resurrection, second resurrection. Uh, the first resurrection, we're going to talk about a little bit with the picture. Uh, Jesus was the first fruits of the first resurrection. And then, of course, the rapture or the harpazo is sort of the second part. And then the tribulation saints. And we keep reading about this. First, um, you know, we read about this in about the saints in the last few uh, verses, um, I think chapter 19, where the saints were brought up. And, you know, John saw all these different people resurrected. Uh, so you see the, the resu- first resurrection, again, is, it comes in sort of like three parts. First uh, Corinthians 15 tells us God will give us these new eternal and glorious bodies. Says, second resurrection, first resurrection is for the saved or the redeemed. The second resurrection is for the unsaved. So in the first and second birth, the second birth was better, right? In the resurrections, the first resurrection is better. We'll we'll make sense of it. Uh, So for the unsaved, the second resurrection is not good. It's after the thousand years of the millennial kingdom. If you've been following with us, that those that are resurrected in the second resurrection aggregately have to stand before the great white throne judgment. Um, First death, second death, okay? The first death is when we die bodily. Okay, it's okay, because if we die bodily, we go to be with the Lord. For the unredeemed and the unsaved, the second death, unfortunately, is, is, is the death of eternity in the lake of fire. So that's not good. Again, nobody has to go through that. And then last, lastly, first judgment, second judgment. The first judgment on the cross, right? We receive Jesus as our Savior. This is a learning curve, right? Again, for the people who say, oh, Christianity is a fairy tale, blah, blah, blah. Well, you haven't studied it then because there's every single thing has meaning to it and why God did all this. So the first uh, death, sorry, the first judgment is we believe in Christ, what his sacrifice, what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago saves us. So we've already experienced judgment for our sins, but, we, but the Lord stood in for us which is awesome. We didn't actually get judged for it. He was a, a stand-in. He was a, a, an expiation, propitiation. Um, we also get a, the first judgment as part of the Bema seat, where we get to see how our works stand the test of time or not. Probably an interesting time. The second judgment leads to the second death. Now, let's do the... There it is. <laughs> okay. Um, Pastor Paul and I, this was our juvenile attempt to make things big so you could see it and um, little pictures and stuff. So Pastor Paul and I worked on this this week. Pretty neat. Thankfully, I got tech people back there because I wouldn't know what to JPEG and put it in whatever. He does all that. Uh, But the crucifixion, Jesus died for the sins of the world. He goes down to Hades, Luke 16. We covered this in the parables. When everybody dies, they are either go to one or two places, the realm of the dead. The good people, the people of faith, go to Abraham and Lazarus and Moses, and they're all in that one portion of Hades. There's a gulf, there's a chasm, and then there's the, in the parable, the rich man was was godless. He used people. He didn't care. He had no compassion, had no sense of God. So he's in the bad place. 
When Jesus died for our sins, Ephesians 4 tells us before he ascended, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Led the captivity, the captives in captivity, he got them out of there. So when Jesus dies, he goes down into this good part of Hades and everybody went up to heaven. Because why? They couldn't really be in God's presence eternally unless their sins were atoned for. So in that first century, he pulled people out from the past retroactively all the way to the time that he was crucified. And they go up to heaven. Now, here's an interesting thing. So does anybody get, you know, if we die, do we go here? No, we don't. Since Christ, the church age, right? We're on the earth. We pass away. We go to be with the Lord in heaven. Pretty neat stuff. Now, when you read the scripture, this place is somewhere in the earth. Earth is a fascinating place. Uh, You look at uh, geology and different things. There's different layers, and there's a lot of questions about the earth. Uh, But it's not like a place with concrete and steel, right? It's a place of incarceration. But it's for spiritual things. So it could be anywhere, just like heaven. You know, God could be like right here watching what we're doing and all over the world too. When you look at uh, the heavenly realm and souls and, and angels, it is a different dimension. You hear about dimensions? The atheist who talks about multiple dimensions has no idea all the dimensions that are going on around us. Uh, the Bible tells us there could, there could be angels walking around. We just don't see them. So we say, but, but we're here. We're inhabiting the space. But you're thinking in our dimension. You've you got to get out of that thinking. All right? And I, what I did was I blew this up a little bit so we could read a little bit more from here. So there's a connection here. Remember, these are the old order of things. That's why these are the same color. Okay. Lots of stuff here. We know in, in a future event, we covered this, First Thessalonians 4, I believe it's 13 through 16 or 18, is that the Lord at some point in his time will call us to heaven to enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then in the second coming, he'll return to earth. And we've been reading this. Um, And unfortunately, well, fortunately, there'll be the millennial kingdom on the earth, which we talked about. And then the final battle. Okay. So before the, the final battle is that the first resurrection is complete. Remember the three parts? Jesus, rapture of the church, and the tribulation saints. First resurrections in three parts. Okay. What happens there is after the thousand years in the final battle, now I have all of this the same color too. So this is orange, orange, orange. Everyone who's ever lived now, you're either in one place or the other. You've either taken the narrow road for Christ or you've taken the wide road that leads to destruction. So once the final battle is over, which we read, um, here's this, this seat, the judgment seat. The people from this area or this time end up before the judgment. The people from this part of Hades end up in the judgment. The sea, see, the sea gives up bodies. That's going to be an interesting thing to watch. Burials at sea, you know, military, whatever, uh, World War II and whatever. So this, the sea and Hades and death, there's going to be no place that has souls anymore. They're all going to give up the dead. Now, remember, this is the unredeemed. They go before the white throne judgment, and they end up at the second death in the lake of fire. Not a good place to end up, but nobody has to go there. 
So this is the second resurrection of the, of the unredeemed. What happens here is the earth is, uh, what is it? our sun is a yellow dwarf. So that means that, you know, in our solar system, it couldn't last forever anyway, because the sun is a yellow dwarf. It's going to eventually burn out. God knows that, obviously. So he's going to make the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And we're going to read about that comes down. Very cool. Um, it's going to be incredibly beautiful. There's just too many problems with the earth right now. And it, it, because of sin, it's, it's marred. So God's going to remake everything. And then all of his redeemed will end up here. So it's, it's, it's detailed. <laughs> if you have questions, I'd be more than happy to answer your questions. You know, I've been doing this a long time, so I get it. But not everybody gets it, and that's okay, because I didn't get it in the beginning either. Um, and I can only say that it's kind of interesting when you look at the, uh, the jurisprudence system in our country or any country, is that when the, when the unredeemed passed, they ended up in this area this was almost like the local lockup, the county lockup. But they didn't get to see the judge yet, and everybody has a right to present their case before the judge. So those who are truly um, antagonistic, rebellious, unredeemed, they end up before the judge, and uh, he sends them to maximum penitentiary. Make sense? So you can almost see that in our, our jurisdiction, our um, jurisprudence system. Okay. Let me end it with this, is that to me, because I understand this, it makes me feel compelled and an urgency to reach people. It doesn't always work. Sometimes my wife and I are out and I'll just talk to strangers and, <laughs> you know, I, I always start with, I don't jump on people. You need to receive, I, I just met you, man. What's, what's your problem? You might come off as somebody who's not, a, not balanced. But, so I always try to engage people in conversation. I have scripture cards, and um, you know, my wife is silently praying for me, and I'm going and going and going. And then you can tell that they're just not interested in going further. And I'll look at her, and she'll look at me, and she'll give me the look like, it's not working. <laughs> but, but I tried. Um, but I was one of those people that blew it off. You know, I liked my lifestyle. I liked all the things that I was doing. I liked my sin. Uh, but eventually, and I never forgot all those people who led up to the last person to what, how I got saved. So believe me, I had a, such a broken past. If I could get saved, anybody could get saved. Um, but, you know, it's, it's cool because some of you are, you're more compassionate, you're You'll be in the doctor's office silently seeing somebody who doesn't look so hot, and you're praying for them. Um, you're a silent witness. You smile at people. You, you do whatever. And you, you're not much of a, a talker, which is fine. You're that silent evangelist. But you might pave the way for me, whose mouth goes a mile a minute. And maybe if somebody gets saved through me, and I realize this, believe me, I don't take credit. There is no credit to take that I wonder how many Christians influence that person, real Christians, because some people are turned off by Christians because they don't act right. And, and I wonder how many down the line before it got to me. I'm like, wow, this is so easy. Well, it wasn't easy because of me. It was easy because of God's Holy Spirit, by him drawing them, by other people. Um, so you know what, folks? We work together as a team. And I think even in our culture, we've forgotten how to do that. 
a lot of organizations, it's amazing anyone gets anything done in the United States. People are always fighting about stupid stuff. But in the church, we're supposed to work as a team. And that's what it's all about. The truth is that we live in a lost and confused world. And we are fighting against an avalanche of disinformation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. If you put that on Twitter, you might get fact-checked. What does that fact-check know about what Jesus said in the first century? You know, it's ridiculous. So we are fighting an enormous battle in our age of disinformation. And I would submit to you that our mandate, our job, is a lot harder than it's ever been as a Christian. So... You know, I just encourage you, encourage me. Let's pray for each other. And what's our goal? To get everybody sitting in these seats? No. It's to get everybody over the, it's to get everybody into the kingdom, right? Into the new place and rejoice and yuck it up and laugh and and have a great time and mostly be with God. So let's pray. You've been listening to to every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.